Welcome in to the 15th episode of the Who Day Den. I am your host, Taylor. Today we have no huge Bengals news to announce, so we're going to keep this intro pretty short. We have a jam-packed episode full of wonderful content. Uh, I did, before we get into that, want to plug my announcement from last episode again as well, the Who Day Den Discord. So if you have not already, find the link in the episode description and join the Who Day Den Discord. I think it's going to be a lot of fun this season. This podcast has seen some steady growth since I kind of sort of re- relaunched it. Uh, so I can see how many listeners tune in each episode. So I know there's a community out there listening. So thank you for listening. Uh, and this is just another platform in which we can join up, talk between episode drops about any of the happenings around the Bengals, especially on game day. It could be a lot of fun to get in there and chat about what we're seeing in the game. Um, and it's going to be an opportunity to win some giveaways too throughout the season. So you can link up with other listeners, most importantly, link up with other Bengals fans. So check that out. Again, the link is in the description of the episode and also in my bio on Twitter as well. Okay, so let's get to this week's guest. I think we had some audio issues we were trying to to work through. So you might notice that it, the, the audio quality isn't exactly always uh, what it usually is, but we made it work and uh, did my best editing that. So hopefully it's not too big of a distraction or anything, but the content within here is really awesome stuff from Arif. So let's get right into it. This week, I am delighted and excited to be joined by Arif Hassan, who covers the Minnesota Vikings for The Athletic. Arif, how are you doing this evening? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Now, I don't know how much of an intro you want to go here, but if you want to tell us a little bit about uh, either how long you've been covering the uh, Vikings, how long you've lived in Minnesota, I'm kind of interested in some of those things. Yeah, no, sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my name's Arif Hassan. I I cover the Vikings for The Athletic. I've been covering the Vikings in some capacity since I want to say 2013. So what is that, like eight years now? Jesus Christ. Wow. (laughs) So... So I've seen uh, some ups and downs, mostly downs, uh, with, with the team. Uh, and I've been in Minnesota since like 99, moved here uh, when I was like 11. So uh, I, I about as close as you can get to a Minnesota native, uh, because before that I was in North Dakota, which is just, you know, Minnesota rural, <laughs> right? So uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm a Minnesota guy. Can you tell me about the, because I, I know a couple of people that live in the Minnesota area, and they have tried to describe to me like the tater tot casserole or hot dish or whatever you want to call it. Can you describe to me this phenomenon that is apparently the rest of the country misses out on? Dude, it rules. <laughs> <laughs> like, is it literally you put anything in with tater tots and cheese or is there like a pretty standard staple? There's a, there's a fairly standard. Um, so uh, the, the stuff that, that goes into it includes like a cream of mushroom soup, which is not like really a soup it, it tends to just really be used as a sauce base but yeah. like it's it's creamy mushroom right and so mm-hmm. uh that goes into it uh sausage meat of some sorts so like ground beef or pork or whatever um you know green beans tend to get served uh on top or or, or inside uh and then a lot of times you get the the crispy onions and because it's like minnesota it's like people don't like fry their own 
onions they get like prepackaged crispy onions sometimes they come in a can but whatever man it rules like it's really good uh, like, is this like i mean it kind of sounds like a pretty heavy dish is this predominantly crispy. like fall winter or i mean do you guys yes, eat this thing year round okay okay like, i was gonna say it sounds very casserole like you know you eat you know, it it's, it's a casserole with like a particular direction right okay, like i think right. minnesotans call essentially any casserole hot dish but minnesota hot dish is that thing i described and then sometimes like like the state fair is like very like they want to like feature minnesota and so you can get hot dish stuff at the state fair when it's like 90 degrees out and it's not amazing then i'll, I'll say that that sounds less than ideal have you tried the cincinnati chili by chance i will um so i haven't um so i, I had something that somebody called cincinnati chili it wasn't in cincinnati it wasn't skyline right so i'm going to give it another chance i hated it but uh, I will give it another chance. I am going to Cincinnati, so I, I got to go to a skyline. I don't have high expectations based off of, you know, the things I've, I've seen. But, like, mm-hmm. um, I, I think the best advice I've received so far is to not think of the word chili when I'm eating it and just think of it as a spaghetti sauce. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, that's I'm a good st- point. I'm still skeptical. Yeah, I wouldn't blame you. I've, I've grown up in the area my whole life, so obviously I, I enjoy it. And when I've heard of people, namely out-of-towners, try it, it sounds like it's a pretty mixed bag. Some love it, some hate it. And for those that hate it for the longest time, I'm like, how do you hate Skyline Chili? But when you think about it, it is not your typical chili that you think of. And uh, it's like a very runny sauce. More, it's more. Think of it more yeah. of like a chili sauce that you're putting on something than an actual hearty chili. So yeah, it I, is different. I really- I really want to give foods the best chance possible. So I, I'm going to have to think of it as not chili because I love chili. And so if I if I have an image in my head of what chili is and I eat it and I'm like slurping up spaghetti with it, I'm probably just not going to be happy. Yeah, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Is, okay, before we get to the Vikings talk, I, I'm wanting to ask, what is your favorite part of living in Minnesota? Oh, geez. Uh, that was very Minnesotan. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I love the people. I love I love just living in the city. I love the combination of kind of like big city, small town feel. Um, I mean, the food here is, is actually really remarkable. We've got a number of James Beard Award winners running restaurants and stuff like that. So there's there's a ton of stuff I love about Minnesota. I don't know if I can really nail it except like, Everything, everything is just kind of like built, and maybe it's because I grew up here. So, but everything is just kind of built in in ways that that make sense to me. Obviously, if I go to another city, it it doesn't make sense to me. Except New York actually does make sense. Like, there's obviously problems in New York, but like the grid system, I get it. Yes, yeah. But like, uh, in terms of like the the quality of all the services that are provided amazing parks uh incredibly clean water don't have to use like a water filter or anything like that um but i don't know like it, it has an extremely high literacy rate it's got a, you know extremely good education system um it, it tends to hit like all the top marks uh nationwide in terms of like quality of living except for you know it gets cold a lot <laughs> yeah so, I, so I, I will say i love the hereness of here if that makes sense yeah I, I will say, like, when I think of Minnesota, I think of, of snow, and I think of these hot dish things now because I've I've seen pictures of them. So I will say those yeah. are the two things. And I feel like everybody, th- everybody says 
Minnesota Minnesotans or however you would pronounce that are very nice people generally. Um, so I, I think about like, um, I don't know if you watched how I met your mother, but like, uh, Marshall Erickson family, yeah. like that, that makes, that's like, ah, that is like the typical Minnesota, uh, family there. So yeah, I don't um, know if they, they, <laughs> they have some Minnesotans in that writer room. I, I suspect they do, but they did nail a lot of stuff there. Uh, people are nice here. Uh, they're also like, one thing I like about a lot of other places more than Minnesota is that if somebody dislikes you, you'll know, right? And they'll tell you how you how they feel. That is not the case here, and that absolutely blows. I hate that part. Uh, <laughs> which I can which, I can imagine the uh, the struggles with that. Yeah, when I like when I visit friends in New York, that's the that's like the number one or two thing I appreciate the most about New York. Or or when I was in LA, same thing. Like, dude, they'll tell you, man. And I I like knowing where I stand with people, so I'll say that, but. I mean, people are generally pretty polite, accommodating and stuff like that. So that's pretty nice here. Awesome. Well, we, you know, I'm sure we could talk uh, the city of Minnesota for a very long time, but we are here to talk about the Minnesota Vikings. And I mentioned on a previous episode uh, that I recorded earlier this week, this is the time of year where every single fan base is, for the most part, optimistic. There's no reason not to be uh, I was thinking about it today. I was like, maybe if you're a Houston Texans fan, I can't imagine how you're even optimistic about the season. But for like pretty much 31 other teams, there's a sliver of hope you could find even for those that won't be good. So when we look at the Minnesota Vikings, I would say the oversimplified version from 2020 was kind of a uh, okay team flirting around 500. Seven and nine was the final record. Um, pretty good offense from a yardage and scoring points perspective. Defense struggled. Um, it looked like they were similar to Cincinnati numbers-wise as far as struggling to get consistent pressure, uh, which was something as Bengals fans we watched a lot last year where our defensive front struggled. What is the general vibe in Minnesota right now this time of year? Are fans feeling optimistic about the team overall compared to last year? Are they thinking it's going to be a worse year or – or how are the fans dealing with 2021? Yeah, um, so a, a couple of things. I think first is that, you know, the vibe is generally, I think people are cautiously optimistic. I think with a franchise like the Vikings, there's only so optimistic that you can get. Um, I think, uh, I guess less so with the Bills now, but like with a lot of franchises like the Falcons, like the Vikings, like the Chargers, there's just a cap on how excited you can be because you're so used to the franchise kind of pulling the rug out from under you. Obviously, there's going to be some fans that are like, hey, man, it's it's Super Bowl or bust, baby. But like, I think most Vikings fans, at least the ones I interact with, maybe it's the audience, you know, I, I essentially self-select, um, are just kind of waiting for kind of, it, it's, it's always guarded or, or waiting for something to go wrong. But I think that there is a general consensus that the team improved fairly substantially uh, in a lot of ways. Um, I do think that there's a my concern with the way people are approaching the team is that I think people are a little bit more optimistic about the offense than they should be. Um, because like you said, you know, from a yardage perspective, especially, you know, that offense performed pretty well. Uh, but Zimmer said it like on Monday when we were talking to him, he said, you know, the offense had like some pretty good statistics, but you know, they had to be. And one of the reporters brought up that the offense had the worst field position in the NFL. Right. And so there's just mm -hmm. more yards to gain, right. Yep. To get kind of, yep. so, and so, um, my, my favorite kind of rate perspective statistic to use is, is probably expected points per play. 
which, uh, you know, just takes a look at kind of the average points scored from every down and distance and field position, and then looks at the difference from play to play. And, you know, positive expected points means you're doing better than the average team in those situations. And they ranked uh, about uh, ninth in that. So I think fourth in total yards, I want to say, ninth in expected points, which I think matches up with their total points score to they're like 10th or something like that. Um, so it's a top 10-ish offense. It certainly wasn't a top five offense. You know, you can't really say, hey, you know, it's a lot like the Bills and the Chiefs and the, and the Ravens, man. It's, it's up there. It's going to be just like the Packers. It's nothing like that, right? It's a pretty good offense. Uh, the defense was about as bad as some of the the kind of more simplified takes. So you, I think you take a look at you know the yardage they've given up, the points they've given up. That also pretty much matches the advanced statistics and expected points. They're like 25th or 24th in yards per dropback or or expected points per dropback or per rush or whatever. So um, really bad defense, okay-ish offense that I think some people kind of overrated. Uh, going into this year, I think a lot of people expect that offense to be the same, and I think that they've got inflated expectations of what that means, but that defense is going to improve pretty substantially. So they, I think they see um, a team with a winning record, and when you press them on what that means, um, it's not that different from last year's record. I, I think this is the cautious optimism. Like, you take a look at this part, it's better, this part, it's better, this part, it's better. I see a 10-7 and 7 team, and it's like, well, they were 7-9 and 9 last year. Like, that's... it's a small step in the right direction at least well you mentioned you mentioned the defense and mike zimmer is well known here in cincinnati uh was a beloved coach here for a a few years and if 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 i'm understanding correctly he still has his thumbprint upon that defense there and with that being the unit that struggled so much last year is there a sense of maybe not a hot seat, but like the Zimmer might be on the warm seat if things don't go well, or is he liked enough in Minnesota that he kind of gets the benefit of the doubt? I think anytime you go seven years without, you know, serious hardware, there's, there's always going to be the sense that, that, you know, this year could be the last one. Um, You know, I mean, even Andy Reid was forced out of Philadelphia, right? Like it just kind of, if you don't have a rig, it's really tough to to Mm -hmm. justify your job. So um, Unless you're Marvin Lewis. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, at least Zimmer wasn't like perpetually one and done. That's like the worst torture, right? But um, I, I think that uh, there is there is that sense that the seat's probably already warm. And, you know, if the, if the team performs poorly enough this year and there isn't like a really good excuse, like Zimmer's, uh, I think, been cursed, but also kind of blessed with a, a litany of good excuses for why that team isn't performing, right? Um, he's like a 600 or 570 coach. He's like ninth or eighth in active winning percentage. And he's had like six or seven different starting quarterbacks over that time, which you don't see. You take a look at everybody above him and they've all had like guys who've started um, or have continued to start uh, on a consistent basis, like Patrick Mahomes or Joe Flacco slash Lamar Jackson or, um, you know, Tom Brady, right? Like all of these coaches that are higher in active winning percentage have had a stable quarterback situation. Mike McCarthy or Aaron Rodgers, and now, you know, he's going to have Dak Prescott. So right. um, that that is kind of something where you have to kind of keep that into account, but people are just kind of getting sick of it anyway. They're like, we don't care that you took Case Keener to the NFC Championship game. You should have won that one. It was a home game. You know, that sort of thing, right? Um, and, and I think that if they don't make the playoffs this year, he could go. That could be it, right? Um, now, if, like, Kirk Cousins is out because of COVID or whatever, people are like, yeah, well, okay, that's not on Zimmer. He did 
literally everything he could in that in, in, except for like violating medical ethics and holding her cousins <laughs> down right like that's that's the most he could have done so um you know if something like that happens and they they drop a couple of games because of like um you know unexpected concerns or, or cousins misses like the first game of his career due to injury or something like that um then you know people will probably be a little bit more sympathetic but i think you know, especially if they don't at least win a game in the playoffs, which is a pretty high bar for for where they were from last year, that that could be pretty tough. And I don't know if you remember the rumors from two years ago, but when the Vikings made the playoffs against the Saints, there was a rumor that if the Vikings didn't win that, that you know the Wilfs, the owners of the Vikings, would fire Zimmer. Um, he won that game in in remarkable, dramatic yes. fashion, I think miraculous was... fashion, <laughs> right? Um, and, uh, and it was probably actually one of the best defensive game plans I've seen, uh, from Zimmer. Like if, if it happened in the Super Bowl, you'd probably put it up there with all the other game plans that people talk about, like Belichick's against, uh, with the Giants against the Bills or Belichick's against the Rams with the Patriots, like yeah. some really remarkable, I thought that was a, a really fantastic thing that he did there, uh, but then they lost against the 49ers. Um, so, you know, it, it was, it, it was kind of a holding pattern for him. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I think his seat is warm. It could be hot. If they miss the playoffs, I, I think that you could be talking about a coaching change, which would be tough. I think Vikings fans have, um, have not experienced uh, like a truly bad coaching situation in a long time, and they might be in for like a, a, a shock. Like it's it's been a while since the three thirteen season. Yeah, that's seems like that's always the risk, too, when – uh, you have a coach that has been good but hasn't gotten you over the hump. You don't exactly know what that next coach is going to be. And some fan bases take for granted that it can get worse, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, well, we talked about the offense a little bit. Um, this year, when you think about the skill position players, there's not a whole lot of difference from the, the big guns there on offense. When you think about Cousins at quarterback, uh, Justin Jefferson returning off of a historic rookie season. Adam Thielen looks to be healthy to start the year, and we know how dominant he can be, especially running next to Jefferson. I know Irv Smith just recently underwent season-ending knee surgery. Um, missing Irv, uh, he's, he was on a couple of my fantasy teams, so that's how I, I'm more familiar with him. Uh, <laughs> I think we'll hurt that offense a little bit, but Generally speaking, what has changed from the offensive side of the ball um, from what we saw last year from the team that didn't have trouble moving the ball? Yeah, um, from a personnel perspective, not a ton, honestly. Um, you know, there's a change at, at offensive tackle. Uh, they no longer have Riley Reef at left tackle. They uh, hoped to have replaced him with a first round pick in Christian Derrissaw, but, you know, he's had um, some setbacks and injury recovery at surgery in January, and then he once again had surgery, a very minor operation if you can ever call a surgery a minor operation. Um, <laughs> when it's not yours, so, you can. Yeah, right, exactly. So a, a relatively, how about that, a relatively minor operation um, earlier this offseason. I want to say uh, mid-August, early August. Um, and uh, he's mostly healthy. We'll see him practice, but he's certainly not going to start because he, he's only had four practices, and those were all OTAs um, with the Vikings. So it's going to be Rashad Hill, who's their backup tackle, I would argue that Rashad Hill is one of the best backup tackles in the league, but I, I also don't think he's a starting quality tackle. If he was, the Vikings wouldn't have drafted Christian Derrissaw, right? So that is a concern. I think that's a downgrade, but I expect that the offensive line will largely play better. I think that the interior situation looks a lot better. Um, I think that Brian O'Neill you know, was coming off of a down year last year at right tackle. I think that he'll be a little bit better, but um, for the most part, yeah, it's like Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson. You've got to change a tight end. 
not the change you wanted, right? Because you go, you wanted to go from Kyle Rudolph to Irv Smith, who I had on one of my dynasty teams. So, you know, long term, I'm probably fine. But like, man, I was kind of counting on that this year. I traded away Dallas Goddard, too. I was like, no, I was ready for Irv Smith. Right? Yeah, it's supposed to be your <laughs> breakout season. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I think that they might run into maybe a little bit more trouble in the red zone. That was kind of Kyle Rudolph's whole deal. Um, not that Herb Smith is, is a remarkable red zone receiver or anything like that, but I think that they'll run into a little bit more trouble there. But for the most part, I expect the offense to largely be the same. Now, they've got a new play caller, but it's another Kubiak. So I expect it to be a fairly similar system to the one they ran last year, the one they ran two years ago under Stefanski. So not a ton of offensive changes. Um, Cousins doesn't look great, but I expect by the time the season starts, he'll be back to kind of his, his regular season form. Yeah, it Cousins is an interesting quarterback. Um, yeah, I, good way to put it. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> because like he kind of reminds me of a, and and this could be totally off base, so uh, this is not meant to open a can of worms, but a better Andy Dalton. And when I think about Andy Dalton in his prime in Cincinnati, if he had the pieces around him and he had the coaching around him that he needed like the magical 2015 year, the I think 2015 it was. season. Yeah. yeah. Um, like those things were things were going Hugh right. Jackson, like two separate yes. head coaching jobs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The one, that, <laughs> the one that was a springboard for Hugh Jackson's terrible head coaching career. Uh, but like that, those types of seasons were the ones where you saw Dalton do things where you're like, Oh wow. Like when he's got protection, he can be really good. And, and, Cousins seems like a quarterback that gener- the general NFL public is like, ew, Kirk Cousins. But I will say I was on PFF uh, and some other sites trying to look at some more advanced metrics on Kirk Cousins, trying to find the major Looks hole in this good, game. Right? Exactly. Yeah. From last year, it was like, <laughs> even when you look at like uh, when, when blitzed, yes, his numbers went down, but they weren't, you know, any lower than league average type of guy uh what about under pressure well yeah he wasn't as good under pressure when then when he had a clean pocket but it was better than a lot of other guys it was it was hard i was trying to poke some holes in there to find where is kirk cousins biggest weakness what is cincinnati going to have to do to knock him off of his game and i kind of came up with blanks is there something that you've noticed watching kirk cousins for a few years that says this is what really uh prevents him from being his normal efficient you know 250 yard three touchdown type of self yeah it's it's kind of it's 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 honestly it's frustrating covering the vikings and trying to demonstrate the issues with cousins right because statistically he's a top eight top 10 quarterback right somewhere around there right and then you kind of break down well like maybe he has a specific weakness and it's like he's good against man coverage he's good against zone coverage well what if we take a look at the routes he throws well he throws every route above average Right. Like he's got he's great at quarter routes, post routes, go routes. It's like, what what's going on here? He's 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 great on play action. He's phenomenal. Like he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league at play action. You know, he's uh, his numbers under pressure are good. His numbers against the blitz are good. Every I, I did the exact same thing you've done. Except <laughs> I've done it for three years. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, why can't he get it done? Well, there's a couple of things. One is that um, he is very particular about a I mean, you're right about kind of the. The supporting cast there, or at least that's kind of the book on him. And I agree that actually a, a better Andy Dalton's a good one. I've always called him um, less attractive Jimmy Garoppolo. I feel like mm-hmm. that's yeah, it's it's very yeah. similar, right? Yeah. And uh, the bonus here is that all three of them kind of run a very similar system. Um, so like, uh, I, I think that the thing that really kind of gets Cousins down is when there is a Cousins specific game plan 
which doesn't always happen unless it's in division and you've got good enough players to execute it, or it's uh, or it's the playoffs and they and they just kind of have the ability to kind of develop more resources and they've got more game film to break down. So if you take a look at what the Bears have done, what the Packers have done, and what the 49ers have done, um, especially in that recent playoff game, it's brutal. And, and typically what they do is they let Dalvin Cook run the ball and they attack Cousins off of play action. Now, Cook obviously is a devastating you know, runner if you kind of let him get enough room. And so it's, it's a very scary proposition, but play action is worse. And so what they would very often do is, you know, they trust a player like, you know, Kenny Clark or Fred Warner or, or whoever their primary run stuffer is, right? Eddie Goldman for the Bears, which is why it wasn't working out so well for them last year when Goldman was on, um, on the COVID-19 list or opt-out list. Um, they would kind of just trust their nose tackle to be able to do enough or, or in the 49ers case, the linebacker to be able to do enough against the run that they could kind of let that happen and not have their defensive end or edge rusher or whatever close down on the running back and just always attack Cousins. It's very similar. Actually, I brought up the Belichick game against the Rams way back in 2001. Very similar to that, where they would always hit Marshall Falk. But instead of hitting Marshall Falk, it's Kirk Cousins, where they would always kind of attack him on the bootlegs and not worry about all this other stuff. And uh, that really shut him down. If you take a look at his numbers against those teams, especially if they've had their primary run stuffer, his numbers look awful, even his play action numbers. And so the Vikings haven't really been able to have a plan B with him. Um, I, that's either a product of, of the way their offensive coordinators coordinate, but, you know, given how well Stefanski is doing with the Browns, I'm having second thoughts on that one. Um, or it's his cousin's inability to have a plan B. Plus, he's just not that great of an improvisational quarterback. So if you know what his first read on a play is going to be and you take that away and you've got the ability to kind of pounce on a second read, and he has to begin to improvise, that, that's a huge problem, which, you know, the Rams have sometimes done, too, is they've figured out, and, you know, they run a very similar system, too, right? So offensively, they kind of know what's happening. They figure out, hey, based off of this formation, they're probably going to run. There's a good 60 70% chance they're going to run this play. So if we just have the linebacker undercut this comeback route, Cousins is going to have to go to the post route. We've got a safety underneath that, and now Cousins has to scramble. And, man, is he bad at that. So... Uh, it's it's basically those two things. Find a way to stop play action, which more and more teams are doing defensively. And the second thing seems to be kind of figure out what direction that offense is going in and cut them off and force Cousins to have to scramble or buy time in the pocket because th those aggregate numbers look really good, but when you put him in some specific situations, he doesn't really produce. And then, then you get to, well, how does Cousins do in the two-minute drill? Actually, fairly poorly, right? Like he's not a great situational awareness quarterback. He's very textbook. And so he doesn't kind of adjust, you know, hey, is this receiver open? What does that mean for me? He doesn't adjust that for the fact that, well, this receiver is open because they want him to be open because if he catches the ball, they're going to run out the clock, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's that's been a huge problem. He's uh, like Zimmer's bad at time management and Cousins is awful at time management. And it, that is like not a great combination to have at head coach and quarterback. Man, that's really interesting to hear that a defensive game plan of – allowing of not focusing on stopping Dalvin cook could be a recipe to beat the Vikings. Because when you look at that team, like you mentioned, it's a very risky proposition to say, Hey, we're going to let Dalvin cook. We know he's going to get 20 plus carries, probably get a handful of receptions for me as a Bengals fan. When I think about um, there, there's a lot of things leading up to Sunday that worry me, including Trey Waynes being out and Eli Apple getting the start going to be trying trying to defend either Jefferson or Thielen uh, is a little worrisome. But like 
the main the main worry for me is Dalvin Cook because he is so dynamic, not just running the ball, but also in the screen game, catching the ball out of the backfield. Uh, he has great hands. He's great after the catch and things like that. So it's interesting to hear that. Um, I think as Bengals fans, we're hopeful the run defense will be improved this year. Uh, DJ Reader wasn't healthy yeah, last year, which one. was, yeah. you know, that hurt. Um, so having him healthy this year, Larry Ogunjobi in the middle will hopefully help. Um, that'll be interesting. I'm not sure whether I'm confident the Bengals will bottle up Dalvin Cook, but it sounds like we just have to slow him up enough to be able to uh, commit our resources to, to selling out on Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I, I think the DJ Reader thing is, is huge. I mean, he was really great for the Texans. It really sucked that he got hurt last year. Nice surprise that Logan Wilson's been playing well at linebacker, too. And then Larry Ogunjobi is like a pretty good run-stuffing three technique. He played nose tackle for quite a bit with the Browns. So there, there is run defense there, right? So I, I, I get it. Um, the, the thing with those game plans is they really relied on, on having that premier run-stuffer. And uh, I have a ton of respect for DJ Reader. I think that he could probably do something along those lines. Not sure he's as good as like Kenny Clark or Eddie Goldman at that specific thing. But he is really good. So um, having a game plan kind of centered around his ability to do that, um, given how athletic Sam Hubbard is, I I don't know about Trey Hendrickson, honestly. <laughs> like I don't either. That, I don't either. In terms of that specific thing, um, I was a huge fan of him coming out of the draft. I was really excited that he had a breakout year. But I think you know those numbers are gamed a little bit just by unblocked stuff, and you know it, I don't know that that it's sustainable. But he. He has uh, good testing numbers. I don't know if the, his on-field athleticism allows him to do some of the stuff that they were able to do with Zadarius Smith or that they were able to do with Bosa, right? So, like, mm-hmm. the ability to kind of turn around and start attacking the quarterback off of play action, that's going to be tough. So um, that's that's going to be interesting. I don't know if the Bengals would do that game plan just because, like you said, there is kind of a, a similar, like, Zimmer said that there's essentially nothing left of his, of his defense left, and this is kind of the last year or the first year where you can say that, right? Because there's no former players in that defense. Gunther's gone um, in, in every capacity from, uh, from, from the Bengals. Um, but I think that there are probably some similarities in philosophy and the way that they approach. Uh, you know, the down linemen are different, but I think that they want to um, stop the run and, and win on third down, right? Which is what Zimmer does. Like, he stops the run and he wins on third down. And I think that the way the Bengals have approached the offseason, the way that they've approached player acquisition – I think that that's probably their defensive philosophy. Um, now, it helps to have a player like Jesse Bates, right, where where you can just be like, yeah, we can stop the run because this this guy is going to, like, intercept, like, eight passes this year. It's fine. But, like, uh, it, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Um, I mean, Bates is coming off of an incredible season. I think people are a little bit quick to jump off of him, be, jump onto him, just because this is kind of the first year where he's had, like, a really holistically good season. He was not that great in the run game two years ago. But, um you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I'm really interested in what that secondary is going to do because it's like from like three or four different teams, right? Because you've got um, you've got uh, Chidobi from like Dallas. You've got uh, Eli Apple, who's most recently with the Saints, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and and then you've got uh, uh, then you've got like some you know clearly obviously Bengals that are on the team. And I think that there's like maybe a fourth Mike Hilton from the Steelers, right? Yeah. Um, and so like that that's. I don't know. I don't know if the chemistry is going to work out. I don't know if what Hilton was asked to do with the Steelers will be what the Bengals will ask him to do. He was a very interesting free agent to me. Um, so you know, who knows, right? That's that's. I think that there's a lot of wild cards there on that defense. That I don't know if I would trust my defense to do the same thing that the 49ers defense was able to do with their personnel. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And you talked about the defensive side of the ball for Minnesota earlier. Um, they were pretty poor last year. While the offense personnel-wise looks very similar to last year, defensively, do you think that the Vikings made enough changes on that side of the ball to where you're a little bit more confident in their ability to get stops? Or in week one, or do you have some concerns about Burrow and Mixon and Boyd and company just going up and down the field against the Vikings? Yeah, um, it's interesting. Last year, you take a look at their 12 primary starters, right? Because it's like it's the 11 and nickel, and then there's the third linebacker. And last year, I think it was nine new starters week one over, over the previous year. And in the five years prior to that, the Vikings only ever changed one or two starters. They, they had the most continuous defense in the NFL over that span. And then they changed nine of their players. And then this year, and obviously that didn't work out, this year they changed 10 of those 12 players, one because of injury, right? Because Anthony Barr was injured all year. He got injured in the, in the second game. So um, you're, you're replacing, and this might take a little bit to go through, but you're replacing Odenabo with Wanham, Jaleel Johnson with Tomlinson, Shamar Stefan with Michael Pierce, Jalen Holmes with Daniel Hunter, Eric Wilson with Anthony Barr, Troy Dow with Nick Vigil, uh, former Bengal, right? Uh, Anthony Harris with Xavier Woods, uh, Cameron Dancer with Bashad Breland. With that one's kind of interesting, right? Because we expected Dancer to start this year. Chris Boyd with Patrick Peterson, and then another former Bengal, uh, Mackenzie Alexander is replacing uh, Jeff Gladney. There, there were a ton of changes. I think mostly positive. I think that there's they're putting a little bit of faith in the players like Patrick Peterson to play like their be the best version of themselves. He he hasn't had that, but you know, Michael Pierce has looked really remarkable in camp. Daniel Hunter's looked better than I've ever seen him. Um, and this isn't just like, hey, I cover the Vikings, you know, I'm going to report on them positively. Like, he genuinely looks incredible in camp. I'm super pessimistic sometimes when I'm watching some of these players in camp. And and Hunter's looked better than – I've seen a lot of good edge rushers in camp. I've seen Jared Allen go up against Matt Khalil, which you can imagine was not great. Uh, for Matt um, I've seen Jared Allen do that. I've seen uh, Everson Griffin go up against both tackles. I've seen mm -hmm. Brian Robinson. I've seen I've seen other versions of Daniel Hunter. This is the best I've ever seen an edge rusher looking Vikings game. Uh, and he's going up against Brian O'Neill, who's like going to get some serious money this year. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I, I there's going to be a lot there with him coming back from from the season ending injury. Michael Pierce coming back from the opt out list. I think that defensive line is going to be great. I think that it's easy to overrate the cornerback group because of Peterson. Um, but I think Breland has looked really good. Um, I think Alexander's like, fine. I feel like that's how Bengals fans must have felt about him. He's like, all right, yeah. fine. If yeah. he leaves, he leaves. It's whatever. It's nice to have him, <laughs> right? Um, but it wasn't like, he wasn't awful. He wasn't great. Um, Xavier Woods, I'm a little bit worried about. He's coming off a down year in Dallas, but they're kind of using him like his good years in Dallas. So there's that. Carson Smith is aging a little bit, so there's there's some concern there. But I think the linebackers will do well, especially Eric Kendricks. Um, and I think the defensive line will do really well. So I think that that defense is going to be a lot better. I think some people want it to be a top five defense, and like that'd be fun to cover. It'd be fun to cover like another top five defense mm -hmm. from Zimmer. Like well, he had like what two with two top five defenses with the Bengals, and he's had two so far with the Vikings, and and two more top ten defenses with the Vikings. So. Um, it would be fun to cover. I, I don't know if all the horses are there for that, but um, I, I think it's going to be a lot better than like the 26th or 27th best defense is what it was last mm -hmm. year. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't, you know, it's great for you. I don't love hearing you say how ferocious that defensive front is looking uh, to start this year because obviously it well known the Burrow injury last year and then the magnifying glass on the offensive line and what changes were made and weren't made. And um, 
you know, you can you can attest to this from from the Minnesota perspective. I'm sure you're very tapped into uh, Twitter users out there that are fans of the team. Right. And Bengals yeah. fans are so distraught that the national media just hates on the Bengals. And, um, you know, they don't even take into account that we picked up Riley Reef and blah, blah, blah. And it's that's what happens when you win six games in two years. Like you're not going to get any respect. We haven't earned any. So it doesn't bother me, but some get very upset about it. Um, and that I think worst case scenario for this team is early in the season for that offensive line to show some chinks in the armor, because throughout the preseason, it was obviously watched very closely. And then overall, that unit had a really strong preseason, um, especially the guys that are going to be starting for us. Uh, I think there's some optimism there. I think there might be a little bit too much optimism from Bengals fans that we've done enough. I I believe as long as that line is an average unit, Burrow will be completely fine. He's that type of quarterback that doesn't need a, a a Cleveland Browns offensive line to be good. He just needs someone that can you know keep him upright. And seeing you know or hearing you talk about Hunter coming back healthy, uh, knowing that we have Khalil Mack next week, knowing that we got T.J. Watt, I think the week after that. There's some pretty scary, uh, yeah, front end defenders that we're going to be facing <laughs> to start the season. And if you know the first hit, the first hit that Burrow hit uh, takes is going to be a collective hold your breath, but also right. a, a very, um, I think, a, a moment where all the the naysayers that were Team Sewell over Team Chase will say that, ha, I told you so sort of thing. Um, and it's going to be like that all season. But, man, that is scary to hear you say that that – uh, the, the front seven's looking so strong. I mean, it, because... it sounds like the Bengals couldn't have made the right choice based off of what's happening in the preseason, right? Sewell's, Sewell's struggling. Exactly, Chase is struggling. Yeah. I mean, yep. was, Everybody's struggling right Rashawn now. Slater, right? <laughs> I know. I actually really, I really liked Slater. And um, back in mock draft season, like March, when I'm just running, I'm laying in bed at night. That was like, that became my routine for weeks was lay in bed and then lay there for about an hour after my wife goes to sleep, just running mock after mock after mock. And my favorite version, my favorite version was trading down like two or three spots and getting Slater. I loved it. I knew it wasn't going to happen. Did, did, but you, I, did I you, uh, did you play him at guard because they got Riley reef at right tackle, Joe Williams at left tackle? Or? Yeah, I was going to, I was going to have to put him at guard, which, you know, we would have seen how that would have had to work out. But um, yeah, that was, I, I dig it. I, so here, here's my take on the Bengals offensive line. No matter how they do in the preseason, I'm never going to trust Trey Hopkins ever. Period. Um, and well, until he plays the regular season and does well, right? Then maybe. And I, it sounds like Jackson Carmen's not going to be able to play, right? So it's going to be Xavier Suafilo. Yeah, uh, Suafilo and um, Quentin Spain will be the starting guards. Carmen's going to be back up to start the year. I I can believe in Quentin Spain maybe, but I I don't trust I don't trust uh, XF, uh, XSF, right? I I just I I can't get behind. So. Um, that would be my worry. And what, I mean, the injury happened because of interior pressure, right? It wasn't even edge pressure. Correct. So, yeah, like, yeah, it was interior. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the Vikings offensive line is the same, right? Where it's just like, man, that interior, I don't know. They're playing like a tackle with 36-inch arms at guard. They're, they're moving a right guard to left guard because he played left tackle. I don't know. That doesn't seem like the same position. Garrett Bradbury is still Garrett Bradbury. I don't know if I can trust it. It's, it's pretty similar, right? So... It seems like it's know. an issue across the NFL, um, but it just gets heightened a little bit when your franchise quarterback uh, gets shredded back there, uh, and rightfully so. Well, yeah, and and one difference so. is that people like Joe Burrow, right? They just yeah. like him. Yeah. If Cousins gets hurt, people are going to be like, wow, that sucks for the Vikings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
He's I'm telling you, he is a very he is one of the most interesting quarterbacks, I think. And it's weird because it's an NFL fan thing. It's a fantasy football thing, too. It's like nobody really wants Kirk Cousins on their fantasy football team. But like at the end of the year, you look and you're like, huh, he was a top 10 scoring quarterback in fantasy. Yeah, he's Who would have thought? Right? Like, didn't know that. <laughs> um, you know, you'll have the one week where he throws, you know, three interceptions. But other than that, solid. Um now, you mentioned Patrick Peterson, and I'm curious about this, too, because obviously Patrick Peterson has the name recognition that everybody may be arguably one of the last, uh, like, shutdown corners you think of or, or the most recent one. Is he still a name that you think that – do you think he carries mostly just name reputation at this point or from a skill set-wise, does it matter who he's covering? Because I'm kind of interested in how Minnesota is going to – designate assignments among the three wide receivers for the Bengals and at first I was thinking okay who's going to get the Patrick Peterson assignment and then I wrote on the show sheet does it matter like does it matter like whoever Patrick (laughs) Peterson's on is like oh he's gonna he's he's gonna struggle this week or is it more just like he's not who he once was well so there's a couple of things at play here one I think is that the the Vikings have stopped having their corners uh, follow wide receivers or shadow wide receivers since Xavier Rhodes in 2018. Part of that has to just do with the sheer talent that they've had at corner, right? Like you, you're not going to say, "Hey, seventh round pick Chris Boyd, you're on Larry Fitzgerald <laughs> today. Good luck." Good luck. <laughs> it's it's Devonte Adams this week. Enjoy. <laughs> that's just not what's going to happen. Um, so that's part of it. But I think part of it's also, I mean, they run a zone match scheme, which is is now kind of the the coverage du jour across the NFL where um, you, you pick up man coverage assignments in zone. Um, and while a lot of that has to do with the ability to read routes, um, you know, the Rams, the Staley system, I should say, um, initially drops to landmarks and reads the quarterback. So there's a couple of different ways to do it. But uh, the Vikings are probably just going to have Peterson do, like within that zone system uh, as a man coverage corner that picks up assignments based off of the routes that are run, they're probably just going to have him cover a lot of this underneath stuff. Uh, what this means is that he's probably not going to be rotated all that much on Tyler Boyd. I, I think that, um, you know, because Boyd is a really devastatingly good slot guy, you're probably just not going to have him lined up initially over the slot. Um, and if you wanted to pick a, a, a receiver, I wouldn't know who to pick because both T. Higgins and uh, Jamar Chase are fairly physical guys. And that's who I'd want on, on Peterson. I, I don't want a speedster on, on Peterson. I don't want someone who's going to test his quickness out of time. I'd want somebody who's going to test his strength because he's a strong dude. He's still a strong dude, but his his strength is gone. His quickness is gone. I mean, Stefan Diggs just killed him last year, just absolutely roasted him last year. And we saw that a little bit, you know, throughout the season where it was speed and sometimes quickness, mostly speed that really hurt him. And it was in part because of the way that the Cardinals were delegating assignments and having him be the corner that he used to be, but he clearly wasn't right. A man everywhere he goes corner. Right. And that's not who he is. And so, He's still a remarkably smart guy. He's still really great at, you know, applying technique to what he's seeing on the field. He's great at kind of reading what the routes are going to be and stuff like that. That's great. Um, He's had to adjust his technique for the fact that he's no longer physically the player that he once was. And we don't know how that's going to turn out. I mean, when I see Justin Jefferson demolish Patrick Peterson on a go route in camp, what, what am I supposed to think about that? It's like, well... Yeah, obviously, that's going to happen. It's Peterson's no longer who he was, and Jefferson was, like, second in the league in receiving last year. Like, I don't know what to do with that information. So, like, you know, uh, I, I I don't expect – I guess I'd prefer him on T. Higgins between the two, but I don't expect it's going to make a huge difference. 
Um, I would wait until Jabbar Chase proves that he's got his concentration or focus issues resolved, right? Before I, I devoted too many resources to him. Plus, I, I think Chase just has a, a slightly better capability to, to generate separation without relying on physicality. I mean, they're both physical receivers, right? But Higgins, to me, is much more of, and talk about a guy who had an underrated rookie year last year. I mean, what would like Chase Claypool and Justin Jefferson, all these rookie receivers go off? You know, T. Higgins just gets absolutely smothered. He has like, was it Brandon Allen throwing to him? Yeah, Jesus this Christ. is, this is. I think T. Higgins is interesting because he, he was so overlooked, especially after the Jamar Chase selection um that he's, he's i think if, good oh he's he's very good had a very very good rookie season um granted cd lamb lost dak prescott but t higgins also you know mid more midway through the season lost burrow and higgins put up very comparable numbers with cd lamb did and cd lamb is just adored right now as one of the best young receivers in the game and i'm like that i, I kind of say like that could be t higgins i guess it can be still but like jamar chase kind of limits that ceiling a little bit um but like talk about from a defensive perspective like which of those three guys it's like kind of pick your poison on who you want to have beat you do i hear you calling this as a tyler boyd game are you calling it as a tyler boyd is the I, receiver I, I wrote plays? that down i saw your show notes about <laughs> patrick peterson who he's going to cover and i was like actually the biggest worry to me is tyler boyd and mackenzie alexander um you know not to like hype up a team uh when i'm a guest on their podcast and make myself look good but i do think that the bengals probably have i'm not going to say the best by any reasonable stretch of the imagination maybe the most underrated receiving core and that, i mean people respect it right i'm not going to say that people don't like the bengals receiving core but i think it is the most underrated people are talking a lot about obviously the the buccaneers one the dallas one um, the Vikings run too wide, so you could say the Vikings won as well, but you know, from a 3D perspective, maybe not as much. Even the Seahawks receiving core you know, gets a lot of love, and deservedly so. But I don't know that the, the Bengals won. Like, if I had to choose between the Steelers receiving core and the Bengals receiving core, I'm taking a look at Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson and all them. And, I'm, and then I look at T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and Tyler Boyd. I, I don't know. I think I, I picked the Bengals one, right? Because Deontay Johnson has this drops problem. Juju Smith-Schuster's inconsistent. You're winning a lot consistent. of Bengals fans. You're winning a lot of Bengals fans with that. <laughs> well, hey, if, if if Odell Beckham returns to form, right, if, if he is who he becomes and Donovan Peoples-Jones becomes who he looks like he's going to be, then maybe the Browns one is better. So maybe that's how I lose some Bengals guys. Maybe the Browns <laughs> one can be better. But right now, I think probably the best receiving core in the division might be the Bengals. And I, I like it a lot. It's not the best in the league by any stretch of the imagination, but I like it a lot. Not a ton of weaknesses. You would just love to see a little bit more speed, right? That's that's kind of it. Um, mm -hmm. Great receiving core. And my worry is that they're going to find matchups every week. And this week, I think that matchup is, is Mackenzie Alexander versus Tyler Boyd. I would say that this is a Tyler Boyd game based on matchups. And I think it's it's one of the most um, – I get a little bit less into the X's and O's than some people. I follow other people for that, that, you know, break down the different coverages and and Bengals have great X's and O's guys. Minich? Oh, incredible. Yeah, yeah, follow Minich. Um, Mike Sands, who's out there. Uh, yeah. Santaga, yeah. He was one of my first guests I had on this podcast. I follow those guys because they have, you know, great insights into the X's and O's. So, but, it, but just from, like, the very general um, – like, I, I, I don't understand how a Bengals fan wouldn't be able to predict that at least early in the season, this is going to be a pretty quick hitting offense because the last thing they want to do is tell, hey, tell Joe Burrow, like, hey, we need you to drop back big, 
big seven-step drop here. Uh, hopefully the line's able to protect you. Uh, we're going to hope Jamar Chase is able to get open and hope that he's able to catch the ball. I mean, it's going to be a lot of tunnel screens. It's going to be a lot of underneath stuff. Um, I think Mixon's going to be heavily involved early in the season to try to take some of that pressure off of him. So uh, it's good to hear that matchup-wise, maybe Boyd will be the one that would be the easiest for the Bengals to exploit this week. And I think you and I both, just from hearing you talk, uh, sounds like you're more of a, the realistic uh, fan as well. You're not. You said you lean maybe even a little bit more pessimistic because I I think I could get dubbed pessimistic, but really I view myself as I'm just more realistic. I'm I cannot I cannot look at the Bengals roster and look at the Bengals schedule and say this is a 10 win team this year. I hope they win 10 games. I just don't see it. I think it's like is, a that, six, is that a shout out to Joe Goodberry? Shout out is Joe that... Goodberry. He's, I'm gonna have to get him on the pod to defend that because I've seen his points on it and I just can't get behind it. Uh, but I think this is a six or seven win team. But I want to know, what is your week one prediction for who wins Vikings-Bengals? Uh, I'm going to go a little bit with Vegas here. So Vegas, uh, they opened at two points. I think right now they're at three points. Three points Vikings favorites on the road against the Bengals. Um, I would say that Vegas has this as maybe too high a scoring game. They've got like 47 points, which is a pretty low over-under. Like it's not like it's not like a 54-point over-under or anything like that. But I would say that both defenses have had enough investment in them that you could say that there's probably going to be a little bit less scoring. I also think the Vikings are just a little bit better than what Vegas thinks. Not by a ton, a little bit better. Um, and that's kind of hoping that whatever offensive issues they've had with like rhythm and timing and all that have gotten worked out by now. Um, and so I would say, what did I write down? Let's see. Uh, I would say, I didn't write anything though. Uh, let's say let's say it's uh, let's say it's 24-20. So not, not a, a ton better, but... You know, maybe we see a missed field goal from from the Vikings or missed extra points. It could be 23-20. I don't know. I don't trust the kicking situation. But I think that largely the Vikings are better. And the biggest difference might just be all the hidden yards from special teams because the Vikings are the worst special teams unit in the NFL. Now they've got Amir Smith-Marset returning. Um, now they've got a puncher that they like in Jordan Berry who's really effective. I don't want to say great, but he's effective for the Steelers. Um, and they've got a good special teams unit in terms of coverage. So those hidden yards, I think, are going to add up in a, in a bigger way than I think people expect. So 24-20, only a 44-point game. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a Vikings win. I think that Vikings fans are taking this one a little bit too um, unseriously, I guess, but I still think that the Vikings are correctly favorites. That's I don't know whether this makes for good pod, podcasting or bad podcasting, but my prediction was 24-20 Vikings as well. Um, I actually <laughs> wanted to go 24-16 because it felt like this could be one of those games where the offense is sputtering a little bit to punch it in. Um, and now that the Bengals have a kicker that we feel good in, and McPherson, I wouldn't mind seeing him kick three field goals or so. Um, oh, yeah, but, McPherson. I almost picked him yeah. up in a couple of my leagues. Dynasty yep. leagues. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I actually think this is like a 24 20 type game. I think you're right as far as the over under. It seems like, and I've said for a month now that I think Burrow's going to be pretty rusty, um, all things considered. We're not going to see peak Burrow until maybe a month into the season, uh, at least. So I think this could be a little bit ugly to start. And um, unfortunately, I think the Bengals lose this one, but should be a good game. I'm excited. There's so many storylines to see with the. The LSU connections running through there with Patrick Peterson oh, yeah. and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Joe Burrow and uh, that's that's going to be a lot of fun. How about this for like uh, I don't know if we'll be able to resolve this bet, but how about you pick one and I have to pick the other. Whose jersey is Justin Jefferson going to swap with? Is it Jamar Chase or Joe Burrow? 
Oh gosh. Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah. I'm going to go with, uh, Maybe Patrick Pearson gets the other one. I don't know. I'm going to go with, uh, Jamar and Justin Jefferson. All right. Okay. So that, I, I, I get the Joe Burrow one. I don't know. Let's, uh, I, I guess pride's on the line. I can't. We, yeah, we need to write that one down because that's that's <laughs> going to be a really interesting one. Are they allowed to swap jerseys this year? I don't know if they lifted oh, geez, that. Uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think they have to like exchange a tide washed, sanitized jersey after the game or something. I don't remember. Wow, that sucks. But if, uh, if that one was uh, if that one was lifted, um, that would be interesting to see. Because be I think yeah. Jamar's already called out Justin Jefferson this week in the. Uh, oh, in, oh, in, so in you already have you some inside info on this event, huh? J- J- well, Jamar <laughs> called him out saying uh, basically that he, you know, he he doesn't want to see Justin Jefferson have a good game. He's basically like, no, I don't want him to have a good That's game. Good. I want to have a good game and I want to win, uh, type of That's thing. Good. I so. Like that. Uh, yeah, so it'll, it'll be an interesting game. I'm excited for it. Uh, thank you, Arif, so much for your time, for jumping on here, sharing some insights into Minnesota, the city, and the Vikings team <laughs> leading up into week one. Uh, let everyone know where they can find you out on Twitter for, you know, just in case these Bengals fans decide they want to cross over and maybe dabble in Minnesota Vikings fandom if our season gets lost early. I don't know. Yeah, if, if, if being a Bengals fan isn't depressing enough, you could be a Vikings fan. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at Arifasan NFL, uh, NFL. Um, you can find my work over at The Athletic, theathletic.com, um, slash author, slash Arif Um Also, I've got a podcast. I'm, pro- I'm going to have Joe Goodberry on, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take him to the to Grill the, him to on the that. Grill him. Too, yeah. um, over at uh, my podcast, Norse Code, which you can find uh wherever you find podcasts i don't have to go into detail on that one um but yeah norse code because uh, it's a play on words i wish i came up with it but it's a good one um but yeah otherwise yeah just follow me on twitter at reef on nfl all right great i appreciate your time thank you very much have a good one thanks man you too man what an episode i really enjoyed that conversation with a reef um and i did mention before in a previous episode that i kind of want to do a fantasy segment each week i don't have any fancy drops for it yet or anything and since this pod is close to going over an hour now i think i'm not going to spend a ton of time on these this this week at least but my minnesota vikings start of the week for this game would be dalvin cook and it's not a huge surprise if he's on your fantasy team you're starting him anyways but i'm expecting top five uh fantasy numbers from him this week he's so involved in the offense uh if we think the vikings will win which uh i did predict the vikings win I think they're going to have the lead, obviously, at some point to preserve, and they're going to ride Cook heavily. He's also used regularly in the passing game. So even if this is an instance where the Bengals get ahead and get a lead, it's not like uh, Dalvin Cook's going to be scripted out of the game or anything. He's going to be involved heavily start to finish. And for the Bengals, my fantasy start of the week is Tyler Boyd. And you heard uh, Arif talk about that a little bit. So I, I really thank him for giving me that insight because it was I was having a hard time deciding for the Bengals side uh, who to pick, but especially in PPR leagues, Tyler Boyd has attraction um, getting points per reception. Um, and, and like Arif said, I think Boyd's going to have the best mismatch this week, not only against the defensive backs, but just imagine any of those instances where he's going over the middle with a linebacker on him, like Nick Vigil. Uh, good night. That's going to be Tyler Boyd 10 times out of 10. So Dalvin Cook, Tyler Boyd, my two fantasy starts of the week from this game. Thank you for listening. Again, jump in the Discord, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Leave a rating if you haven't already. Those things all help us as we try to show up on 
the the front page of Bengals searches wherever you listen to your podcasts. Again, thank you for the support. And until next time, hootay. Thank you.